Welcome to the Solid Verbal. The Solid Verbal. Come after me! I'm a man! I'm 40! I've heard so many players say, well, I want to be happy. You want to be happy for a day? Eat a steak. It's that woo-woo! And now, Dan and Ty. Welcome back to the Solid Verbal Boys and Girls. My name is Ty Hildenbrandt. That fine gentleman over there, his name is Dan Rubenstein. And alas, we are the Solid Verbal at long last in preview mode. Dan, how are you? Ty, I am hydrated. I am caffeinated. I took Advil just in case, not a sponsor. Anti-inflammatory shout out to all of you. And I don't know the significance of this conference preview in terms of what it actually means going forward for whatever happens these next few months with college football and the rest of the world. But as somebody who has led a nomadic existence since late March, we're talking, oh, six pairs of underwear max. Yeah, totally. We're talking, totally. I probably left three to four pairs of socks back in California. We're talking my toddler, my 18-month-old toddler, definitely practices better hygiene at moments than I do. This single sliver, this droplet of normalcy tie that we get to do a conference preview on this show after what Earth has looked like in 2020, it brings me so much joy that I had to to harness it by listening to both ACDC yeah. and Rage Against the Machine waiting for you to connect for this show. So I am thrilled to be here, sir. Yeah, I am fired up. I'm a little worried that we're going to run and burn hot out of the <laughs> gate. <laughs> yeah. Got to pace mm-hmm. ourselves here as we've got a Big 12 preview before us. It's our first in preparation for the 2020 football season. We are starting to see a little bit more about what that season might look like. And we'll talk about that as we do a quick news hit at the top here before diving into the Big 12. But it doesn't matter what happens the rest of the way. They could scrap the whole damn thing tomorrow. At least we'll have one preview, Dan. And I'm excited (laughs) about it. I can't tell you, and maybe you would echo the same sentiment, how good it felt to sink your teeth into some Kansas offense 2020 or West Virginia (laughs) running game 2020. It felt surprisingly good to even look at the bad spots of the Big 12. Yeah, it's it's some people have those trashy romance and sexy novels to distract them from their life or the world at large and all of their problems. I suppose I have Malik Knowles, Andrew Parchment, <laughs> and Tylen Wallace. Uh, Wallace coming back from an ACL injury. We've got a couple of ACL injury returns, so uh, it was it was a nice escape. And I am, I I am hoping for the absolute best in terms of not just this Big Twelve conference preview, portending things that we can react to during the actual season, but across the board, college football things and. I I am hopeful for improvement with everything surrounding the sport and the universe. And we're just going to we're going to go from there. All right. Before we go any further, don't forget to subscribe to the show. If you haven't already, we will be broadcasting twice a week, at least twice a week for the next couple weeks as we build to the 2020 season. You can do so on Apple. You can do so on Google, on Spotify. If you like the show, please feel free to give us a five star review. As we've said time and again, all of that stuff helps us grow the footprint of the solid verbal 
as does you following along on our social media accounts, which you can do so out there on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook. And if you really like the show, as many do, there is a subreddit at solidverbal.reddit.com where you can continue the conversation, as I like to say, long after the final bell. Also, if you're just finding us for the first time, you want to find out more about the show, go on out to solidverbal.com. That's our website. You can also sign up for our newsletter there, which, you know, I've said it a bunch of times. You probably think I'm full of it. We are going to start using that more frequently as we get into the college football season here, Dan. But uh, yeah, we don't want to spam you. You know, we don't want to spam people. And frankly, there hasn't been a lot of good stuff to talk about. Like we try to be positive if we're going to be sending stuff to your inbox. And yeah, hasn't been a whole lot of that so far in this young or old or whatever you want to call it preseason that we've got so far. Yeah, you've pitched a, a weekly visual, a photo segment in the newsletter for the season. It's the race to an eight pack. And I don't know if yeah. I'm fully on board with that, but like a week to week progress report. We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. But you, we're, we're pitching things to each other constantly about what the newsletter is going to look like and how we're going to be adding to it and making it more. And this is the favorite world of everybody who covers the sport. Dynamic. Dynamic. Yeah. The eight pack's all about lighting, I would add, just as a pro is that tip. true? It's all mm. about the lighting. Yeah. Makeup and shading for me. Yeah. Um, do you want to get into some news? I do want to get into news. Let's do it. Breaking news! I'm not going to really go for it today. We have a lot of information to transfer. Mm-hmm. I don't want to ruin my voice. Okay. So we'll start here. I'll follow your lead. In this weird, funny farm of a preseason that we've been living through, as the season does start to take shape, so have some conference schedules. We saw that from, what, the Big Ten and the ACC, Dan? We have. We knew the ACC schedule in terms of what the home and road splits were going to look like before, so we talked about that, some of the bigger winners and some of the bigger losers, but in terms of where bye weeks land and where you know there could be let-down look-ahead sandwiches land and you know tough back-to-backs and road stretches, whatever, we didn't have a full concept of that. Uh, I'm sure you looked at what Notre Dame's schedule looked like, which is pretty good. Mm-hmm. Notre, the way Notre Dame's schedule works out. They have who? Western Michigan is their confirmed Correct. non-conference plus Correct. one. Uh, Pitt, big loser. <laughs> I don't know if you had a chance. Uh, Pitt has the final first open week on the ACC schedule. They're the only team that I think they play what, what's looking like seven straight games to open the, the, the season without uh, an open date, whereas everybody else has one within, I don't know, three or four weeks. So there's that. Um, otherwise, Clemson's schedule looks pretty great. It's an interesting end to their year. They have pit sandwich between road games at Florida State and Virginia Tech, but road games are not road games in 2020 in the in the way that they've been and in the way that we're used to. Louisville has a, a pretty interesting schedule. The the middle of their schedule gets a little bit tricky, but the the bread part of that that schedule sandwich is fine. So, the powers that be um in the ACC, at least the ones that we perceive them to be, look pretty good you, you, we have what two open dates for each of these teams and the uh the championship game will either be on december 12th or december the 19th that's right that's right and also in the scheduling department we mentioned the big 10 um you know the first thing that jumps out at me in looking at this schedule matrix here yeah. if ohio state does not run right through this schedule then something's wrong 
Yeah, uh, maybe half their team opts out. I suppose sure. that's a possibility. We're going to talk about some of those notable opt outs next. But starting your season with Illinois, Rutgers, Purdue, Indiana, and then a bye is a pretty good way to go 4 0. And then it's also a pretty good way to ramp up to, I think, your toughest game of the year in Penn State in going from Nebraska to Michigan State to Michigan to Maryland and then Penn State. So they're like, they have a natural little ramp up there to the tougher part of their schedule. It culminates in what they're calling week 10, first week in November against Penn State. Yeah, most teams have two consecutive tough games. Minnesota, out the shoot, is Michigan State, Michigan, Iowa, Wisconsin, and then we'll see about Nebraska. I know you're pretty high on the Huskers, and three of those five are on the road. I looked for sandwiches here, Ty, and the team, the meat occupying the letdown look-ahead sandwiches that I kept coming across is Rutgers. <laughs> so I don't know how profoundly difficult the letdown look-ahead sandwich situation is in the Big Ten if we're to get a full season. But we won't really know until we have a sense after three or four weeks what teams look like both. Um, I think Penn State and Ohio State get the Michigan schools in consecutive weeks. Right. We'll see right. what, what Mel Tucker's Spartans look like to sort of manage or figure out how dangerous that actually is. We get Ohio State, Illinois to open the season on a Thursday night. That would be the third, I believe, of September. Uh, and and the other big notable thing is some of the the classic traditional rivalry games. And I know the Big Ten has a number of those big trophy games, but the biggest of the big, they're sort of spread out through the season. We have Michigan, Ohio State on the 24th of October instead of, what, the second or third week of November. Uh, we have the Axe, Minnesota, Wisconsin's in week four. Obviously, no Cyhawk because there's no non-conference for Iowa, Iowa State. But uh, Iowa, Nebraska has been that final week game, and that's now week four as well. So the Big Ten sending a not-so-subtle message of, we don't know how long the season's going to last. We would love for our bigger games to to enter into the the eyeballs of America, no matter what. So, yeah, Penn State, Ohio State is later on in the season, so... I mean, it's a, it's a giant win. If we get to that far in the season and we get that game, it's in Happy Valley, correct? Correct, correct. I wonder if they'll do, like, will will the entire sideline just wear white as, like, a, a whiteout express? In, in Michigan's <laughs> schedule matrix in particular, I forget which game, but one of the games was labeled as a maze out, which uh, we'll see how that, <laughs> okay, see how that one goes. We'll talk more about that when we get to the Big Ten preview, but... It is notable that we're starting to see dates. We're starting to see schedules out there. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll talk more about that, certainly, as we move through our previews. The, the other component of this here is the opt-outs, right? We talked about Caleb Farley on, I guess, two of our last three episodes, him opting out for his own reasons. And since then, we've seen Rashad Bateman, notable wide receiver from Minnesota. We've seen Micah Parsons, arguably Penn State's best player. And Arguably the top defensive player in the country. Top defensive player in the country. And yeah. Gregory Rousseau from Miami, a redshirt freshman, opting out as well. I saw our friend Adam Kramer from Bleacher Report commenting on Twitter that after the Micah Parsons news broke, he was expecting something of a wave that perhaps that gave clearance for other big name notable players to follow suit. So um, 
I am bracing a bit for who may be next. Yeah, Greg Rousseau had a terrific redshirt freshman year last season and ha- has already been considered to be a top 10-ish and maybe the best, you know, edge rusher in this upcoming NFL draft. And he I don't not that I've seen him say anything that he's going to focus on preparing for the draft, just that he was opting out for safety concerns. Right. So, I mean, he certainly has a lot of eligibility left, but yeah, it's something to monitor. There's all sorts of of context. Uh, Marvin Wilson at Florida State said that he very much wants to play. And I think there was a headline that sort of misconstrued his words that he said that opting out in the uh, in the way that, you know, Pac-12 and now Big Ten players in, that, in their united way and, and the list of asks from their conferences, it was sort of misconstrued because he used the phrase the easy way out. But right, it was right, it right. was more about Marvin Wilson saying he decided to come back and not explore his NFL potential. And so the easy way out would be to not play and just sit around. And so he very much is enthusiastic about playing with his teammates. So it's, I'm glad there's a conversation around it. I'm glad players are just deciding what's best for them, whether that is playing or not playing. And it's, it's refreshing to see so many players using their voices this way. So, okay. Yeah, there will be more. I keep seeing that from going to be more college writers, NFL writers There's going to be more. And that's okay. We get That's it. Okay. We get it. We get it. Yeah. 100% we get it. Um, the other interesting tidbit I'd add here before we move on to UConn canceling its season for the quote-unquote pandemic. Yes. Um, you know, one of the arguments against spring, I, I'm not like advocating for a spring move here, though we've talked a lot about it. But one of the comments against a spring season is, oh, well, the big names are just going to opt out. Well, they're opting out anyway. So, uh right. We'll see. We'll see where this goes, but more to come here for sure. I mentioned UConn. They canceled their season. They opted out of their season. It's notable here that they credited the pandemic for it, and I do think that is obviously the underlying and main reason why. However, UConn's independent school. They lost a bunch of games on their schedule in a very weird and cruel Twitter world. I saw a lot of commentary around, oh, UConn still plays Ball? Is that Boo. still a thing? I know. Boo. I know. I know. I'm just, I got to mention it. Talking about Dan Orlovsky's school. It sucks that there's not going to be UConn football. We love talking about UConn on the show. Well, um, well, Ty, let's, words are important here. <laughs> we love talking UConn football. Come on. We love, it's the roots of sexier than Edsel. <sighs> That's true. That is true. Uh, yeah, it's a bummer. I like football. It's a bummer. I, I have no problem with the state of Connecticut. I've enjoyed watching Khalid El Amin play basketball way back when. So, yeah, sure. Um, yeah, and it, and it was notable that Randy Edsel mentioned that it was a it was a big conversation with players, all deciding that this was best for them, and that's uh, also fine. Did you see the coaches' poll came out? Coaches' poll. That's where I was going next. We have Clemson, yeah. Ohio State, Alabama, Georgia, LSU as your top five. Um, Oklahoma notably is sixth. We're going to talk about them in just a little bit. Um, we will have a lively discussion, I believe, over whether Texas at 14 deserves to be over Oklahoma State at 16. Of course, none of this really matters because it's a coach's preseason poll, but it is fodder for idiots like us on a weird podcast like this in you know, mid-August to be able to have something to talk about. So any big surprises? We got to move on and talk about the Big 12, but any really big surprises to you? No, not especially. Good to see UCF and Cincinnati check in at, I think it's 21 and 22. Uh, And then seeing Tennessee, Boise, and ASU on the outside looking in as the, I think, the lead others receiving votes schools. 
all seems to make sense. A lot of the schools that are on the outside looking in, I'm, you know, you know, I'm high on Louisville, Ty. You know, I'm high yeah. on Louisville. I think they're a top 25 caliber team and perhaps don't have as many questions as these other schools that didn't make it into the top 25, even though the defense does need to improve. We'll get to Louisville at a certain point, but no, nothing, nothing seems dramatically off at this point because these teams didn't even play in the spring. No, these teams are not really know. in the full no swing idea. of fall camp. We have no so, idea. It's it's going to be a very different type of early season, whatever it looks like. All right. Well, again, write in solidverbal at gmail.com if any of these yeah. news bullets inspire you to do so, or if you just want to say hi. Yeah. We're always here. Okay. So the Big 12, Dan, I don't, you know, I don't have a sound to play for the Big 12. How about this one? I'm spicy! That's kind of how I feel about the Big 12 this year. Yeah. Um... It is not the deepest conference, is it? No, and it's funny. I've mentioned in years past where it seems like, oh my God, there's so many good quarterbacks in the Big 12. It's so interesting that, you know, even if a team is pretty flawed, that they'd have a good quarterback, like a West Virginia with Will Greer or whoever, um, Brandon Whedon with Oklahoma State. Uh, I was looking through some old list of Big 12 quarterbacks, and there are some years where, like, 2011 was great. It was, like, casual dress. James Franklin and Colin Klein were, like, the fifth and sixth best quarterbacks. That's a hell of a hell of a year in terms of quarterback depth. But there were some years, like... 13, 14, where you're talking Steel Jance and Clint Chell. Steel Jance. Steel with an L-E at the end, I believe. Yeah, Jance with a Z. Um, All due respect. Uh, But there there were some years where it was like, oh, it's it's Bryce Petty and nobody else. (laughs) So I think, I don't know if it's one of those type of years. I think the the floor is pretty high, but in terms of headlining quarterbacks specifically, and certainly a football team is much more than just a quarterback, it's tricky i don't know if spicy is how i would describe it but you know there's some there's some cayenne dust in there to be clear the floor is still kansas it might be about an inch or two higher Mm -hmm. than it was a year ago we'll get into that and much much more but general impressions general questions looking around the big 12 i don't don't know if anything struck you I, i know one thing that struck me you mentioned the quarterback spot and we'll get into that as well the quarterback position is is a a huge question mark for me. We, we know a lot yeah. about Sam Ellinger and Brock Purdy and even Spencer Sanders, but really questions abound uh, across the board. I am in particular very curious about that number two spot in the Big 12. You know, like I think we would probably agree that Oklahoma is still the team to beat until proven otherwise, but definitely Oklahoma State and Texas are of particular intrigue to me and Iowa State. Iowa State's gotten a lot better with regard to recruiting. Their depth is a lot better. We know we like Brock Purdy and Brees Hall. Defensively, they've done a lot of cool stuff over the last three years under Matt Campbell. That, to me, is the the real open question. I'm not going to throw TCU in there. I don't want to commit the sins of the past and dive back in headfirst to TCU. Though there is reason to be excited about their defense. But in particular, that number two spot in the conference for me is what what I'm most interested in right now. You love talking number two. You love talking number two. Love the deuces. Uh, Yeah, last year, I mean, number two to me is it's year two for all sorts of head coaches, right? It's year one for Dave Aranda at Baylor. (laughs) So good. But so good. But 
But Matt Wells and Neil Brown and Les Miles um, and Chris Kleiman all enter their second year. So last year, it seemed like there was a lot of upheaval and like, what do we expect from year one out of these guys and what type of continuity can we expect after, you know, Dana Holgerson had so much success and uh, Bill Snyder had so much success and, you know, Texas Tech had all sorts of up and down situation with their coaches over these last few years. But um, Cliff Kingsbury was fun. Don't get me wrong. Cliff Kingsbury was fun. Um, We only have one new coach and Dave Aranda. So... We are. I think we know what to expect more, and we're just more curious about the next step more so than what are they going to look like. Right. So that right. to me is interesting. That that is that is for sure interesting. But you're right. The it's another year of just a wide, wide open middle class of uh, of the conference. So here's the way that we structured it last year. We got a lot of positive feedback. Yeah. When it came to previewing conferences, but each of us went through. Um, I took half of the conference. You took half the conference. Both of us looked at all of the conference, obviously, to be able to talk about it. But in looking through, we formulated questions about each team, questions that we think are a good a good build into just where is this thing going to go in 2020? Let's start at the top with Oklahoma. I know you did the deep dive of the Sooners, but I, I guess as you look at this team and what they did last year under Alex Grinch. There's no denying that there was improvement in the first year. Right. A much better job of creating those havoc plays that our friend Bill Connolly calls them and likes to talk about plays behind the line of scrimmage. It's sort of Alex Grinch's thing, right? Is there now a legit reason to believe that the defense is going to take a big enough step forward that they're they're going to be just like a little dangerous to complement the offense? In so doing, they'd be so much of a better team. They'd be so much more formidable on the national stage. Is there hope for that in 2020? Yes, but. <laughs> but, okay. It's So, it, yes, there is. I mean, so the secondary is largely intact. They They have to deal with, I don't know how long exactly Ronnie Perkins is going to be suspended because he was suspended, if you remember, before the Peach Bowl against LSU. Uh, a rush end for Oklahoma, really talented, and he was going to be suspended for the first five games of 2020. Whether that's adjusted now that it's a shorter schedule, unclear. Unclear at this moment. But up front, they're going to be, I think they're going to be fine. They're going to be a little bit different, especially without Ronnie Perkins. They're going to be a little bit different. They were thinking that they're going to get Caleb Kelly back in the middle of that linebacking core, but he hurt himself once again. He missed 2019 with an ACL injury. I think it looks like it's the same thing for 2020. So that's a a pretty significant bummer. The weird thing to me, though, about Oklahoma is they've struggled with the fact that the offense scores so quickly that they didn't necessarily have the depth to play so many snaps on defense because they've had this crazy prolific offense all these years, you know, be it with Baker Mayfield or Kyler Murray uh, or last year with Jalen Hurts. So they have built up the depth on defense, which is great. This year, interestingly enough, the offense to me seems to be the overhauled side of the ball just yeah. because Spencer Rattler now steps in and he's that experience former number one overall quarterback recruit and they're pretty beat up at receiver they lose CD Lamb from last season and a couple of guys Jadon Hazelwood and Theo Howard go down in the offseason hurt uh they, they lost a, a receiver named Bridges who was promising I think a former five-star he was suspended and he's also in that that Ronnie Perkins situation of suspended for right. a few games to start the year uh, the good news for the offense is the offensive line is in good shape and Lincoln Riley is still the one wearing a headset and telling the offense what plays to run. But, but you know, hold on, on on that point there for a second. Please. Spencer Rattler is a lot less experienced 
than any quarterback that Lincoln Riley's had in his time at Oklahoma. Now, sure. I think I think we've developed a level of confidence around what Lincoln Riley can do. But this is his fourth different quarterback starter in four years. This guy's got a lot less experience. He sure as hell is not built like Jalen Hurts. He's got a little bit of Baker Mayfield in, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> but he's not built like a Mack truck like Jalen Hurts. And he's got the line in front of him. And, you know, all that's fine and dandy. But he's got a huge arm, my man. Huge, huge arm. I, I am interested in what he can do. I think he's going to be really good. I'm most interested in that point that you brought up about who he's throwing to. Because we had yeah. CeeDee Lamb losing. We had the Hazelwood injury. I want to see the young guns out wide. I want to see Theo Weiss. I want to see Marvin Mims. I want Charleston to see Charleston Rambo. Yeah, show yeah. me what these guys can do. I'm not saying they're not going to perform, but it, this is a, a receiving core that I'm frankly just anxious to see. I don't know a lot about. There's a lot of potential there, but um, how will they all mesh, especially in recurring theme here that I'll talk a lot about a very weird preseason and no spring, right? I, I'm with you. The good, again, the good news is Lincoln Riley's been there, and we have you know teams across the country with new offensive coordinators and new quarterbacks, including one I happen to root for. So uh, the fact is, the benefit of the doubt should lie squarely on the shoulders of Oklahoma's offense because of Lincoln Riley. Because and and the sort of opposite way of looking at it is Spencer Rattler's the first quarterback who's really had time to get into the system without being counted on right away, like Kyler Murray and Baker Mayfield were being thrown into it, even though Baker Mayfield did redshirt when he when he sat out a year, he was he was thrust into it. Yeah. yeah. Um, the other great news on the other side of the ball is if you look around the conference in terms of what the offenses look like. Now, I know Texas has interesting talent on offense and a fourth year starting quarterback and Sam Ellinger, new coordinator without time to really implement to a detailed point like they would in a normal season. So it's sort of the same for everybody. That's a it's a step back, though, that that teams usually have. It's a step back from, I guess, normalcy. Um, Baylor, new offensive coordinator, new head coach. TCU. I, I don't think I think Max Duggan's interesting, but he's not a bomber. You're not immediately super scared. Texas Tech has had injury after injury to comedy legend Alan Bowman. Uh, West Virginia on offense, especially at quarterback, was not anything <laughs> scary last <laughs> year. Kansas had moments. Iowa State has Brock Purdy, which is really promising to me. Spencer Sanders is not all that scary to me with a new coordinator at Oklahoma State, a promoted uh, associate head coach, wide receivers coach, which I never am a huge, huge fan of, a longtime position coach being promoted. So the context of what Oklahoma's defense can do with regard to the Big 12, it's pretty good. Yeah. Well, you know, two things that jump out at me from last year. They gave it's up. not a bangers only conference it's in, not. in terms of scary offenses. It's not. I, I, to, to the initial point, to the initial question, they gave up a lot of big plays last year, especially on the ground. Sure. Can they shore that up? Sure. They've got depth. They've got, what, nine guys back? So yeah. they're going to be fine on defense. I would expect eventually. that they're going to take, yeah, eventually. I would expect they're going to take that step forward. The other component here, we're talking about Alex Grinch, right? What's his deal? He likes havoc plays and he likes turnovers. Mm -hmm. They didn't create as many as I'm sure he would have liked. To his credit, they should have had more. It does not help when guys drop interceptions the way Oklahoma did a year right. ago. Right. There's there's some randomness, a lot of randomness. A lot of randomness, a lot Balls, of luck. Yeah. Sure. If they can shore up one or even both of those points to just some marginal degree, that will make them much better as a defense, much more dangerous as we asked at the top of this little capsule here. So, yeah. 
I don't know how you feel about Oklahoma, Dan. I, I think I agree with most of what you said. It is hard to see this team losing more than like one game if they're if they're going to lose at all. And look, like we <laughs> we look at Oklahoma on their old schedule. There was like a four game stretch that might have been tricky. Might have been tricky. They had right. a game against Texas, an all time letdown look ahead spot the following week on the road at Iowa State before coming back home for a Bedlam game. I don't know what that... I, have we seen the Big 12 schedule at time of recording? I don't think so. No, it, it's being reworked as we speak. I think I saw that Red River is supposed to stay in Dallas as of a while ago, so okay. we'll see if that changes. But other otherwise, no, it's just because they, they want to... It's a 9 plus 1 schedule, and they want to rework it to work in bye weeks and, and different options in and case there are any They're not going to play on August the 29th. Originally, they had moved that Missouri Correct. State game. Uh, that's, that's not going to happen now. So we're waiting to find out what the Big 12 schedule is at time of recording here. But my, my only point is, I think the reworked schedule is actually going to work in their favor, too. Like, we already know who they're playing, right? Like, they always play all these teams. But I think the way that they might rework things to accommodate this new reality is also something else that will benefit Oklahoma. So again, my view, probably yours as well. Oklahoma's a team to beat until proven otherwise in the Big 12. Agree, disagree? Bedlam week one. Let's ride. Let's do it. <laughs> no, they're, they're absolutely. There, there is no clear, obvious challenger. The only one from a talent standpoint is Texas, but you know what to expect from Texas year in and year out. I, I leave to you now, Ty, oh, because I have a question for what you. What is your transition? Okay. I have segue. Texas here. Let's do it. Let's do it. I'm ready. <sighs> I'm going to stick with the, the bread that you like spreading your intellectual butter on top of, Ty. Yes. You know the the Undertaker clip or image or gif of him r literally rising from a, a laying down position, bolting up to, to 90 degrees? From the coffin, of course. From the coffin. So from zero to 90, if you could give me an Undertaker angle <laughs> with 90, 90 being full on... Uh, Vince Young's walking through that door. There he is. Vince Young. He's suiting up once again. Uh, and laying straight in the coffin being, uh, I don't know, the worst of David Ash, the worst of, I don't I, any, any of the case McCoy, um, uh, Garrett Gilbert. I don't know. Uh, give me, give me an angle. Give me an undertaker. 72. Waking up angle. 72. Okay. 72. And by the way, in this analogy, I am Paul bearer as the Good. weird hype man promoting Texas is back or not back. I am the ref looking away at the right moments. What I would like to know from Texas fans is whether or not that Texas being back thing is perpetuated by the fan base or the boosters or mainly just by the national media, which is frankly a little more disconnected from the program. My, my sense is that it's more national than local, but there is no doubt more pressure on Tom Herman to more seriously contend for the conference this year, or if not this year, next. Otherwise, he would not have hit the reset button on both the offense and defense the way he did this offseason. So as we enter 2020, Texas went eight and five last year. They beat Utah in the bowl game. They beat Oklahoma in the regular season, which was nice. It's pretty much it. Still had the five losses. Um, they were decidedly not back last season. Correct? Agree? 
Yeah, I mean, there were extenuating circumstances for sure. But yes, it was it was a more challenging year than I think we anticipated, given how they ended 2018. But it happens. It does it happen. It does happen. So I, I, I look at what he's doing here. He fired both his coordinators. It does feel a little like he's trying to build Ohio State South. And I think Texas fans would be cool with that. Yeah, worse models, Ty. Worse models. He got rid of Tim Beck, previous offensive coordinator. He replaced him with Mike Yurcich, who comes over from Ohio State. I think we would see that as an upgrade. Also got rid of Todd Orlando, bringing in Chris Ash to run the defense. Chris Ash, formerly before his Rutgers stop, was the defensive coordinator at Ohio State. Yep. Uh, it was the right move. I think the right move at the right time on both fronts, he just got really unlucky with the pandemic. It's just hard to start over like this amid all this without the spring with the in-person stuff being so different. Don't be surprised if this does not click right away. Again, recurring theme. Do not be surprised, Dan, if this does not click right away. Right. Okay. That said, I really like this team. I know you're going to be shocked to hear that, but <laughs> I, I said it a couple episodes ago. I, I think Sam Ellinger is still underrated. I think the running game is going to be better. I think friend of the show, Herb Hand, did an awesome job with the line last year. Rebuilt the line. Yeah. Rebuilt they, the they line. Were did a, a good they job. They were in a dark place. Yeah. They were. In a perfect world where, you know, Mike Yursich could maybe more properly or more comfortably install the offense, he would build off that line because the foundation is there. What was really missing last year was the creativity. And we knew that because it was Tim Beck. We got a sound somewhere. I should find it. I should have been prepared here, but we've got the Beck Meyer <laughs> syndrome okay. sound. Is it Yursich or Yursich? I was always under the impression it's Yursich. I believe it's Yursich, but is it? Verbal at He's from, he did something. He was at, um, he was at Shippensburg, right? By the way, here it is. Can't lift arm or speak <laughs> at normal rate. That's the Beck Meyer. <laughs> syndrome sound whatever it, yeah. whether it's your sitch or your sick he knows the conference from his time at oklahoma state he did a hell of a job with justin fields last year he wants this offense to be more vertical no more of the five yard dink and dunk stuff that we saw i am most interested in what he does this passing game how it looks differently how he uses jake smith how he used brendan eagles also Tariq black came down from michigan as a grad transfer Correct. and Jordan Whittingham is now a converted wide receiver from the running back position. Josh Moore has a ton of upside. I, I'm just, I'm really intrigued in what he can do with this offense, how he can implement some degree of creativity that simply was not there under Tim Beck. I think he has the personnel to do it. He's got the best quarterback in the Big 12 to do it with. I am excited about this offense. Yeah, I think the big name too is Keontae Ingram. The fact that he took the step forward for the Texas running game last year will only open things up for the passing game. We saw how much success Justin Fields had with play action. I think that that becomes such a major threat now because that was and Texas has had running backs. Certainly they went into last season unsure of what they had at running back like they did the last couple years. But Keontae Ingram being, a, I think, one of the best probably eight or nine running backs in the country should should be a huge boost for what this offense can do creatively. And... Yeah, I, I'm excited to see it. The The problem is, it seems like Sam Ellinger, and maybe it won't really derail what their season can be if we get a full season. He always seems to have that stinker in him. 
He does have where a you stinker look up. Him. He does. You he look does. up at at you know six forty four Eastern, and he's got three picks in the I first know. half. And you're like, ooh, you're not wrong. You're not there, wrong. There's about always that. a not Sam Ellinger's week week, and I I wonder if that once again comes to fruition. Let's talk about Texas defense because that's a new installation as well. Chris Ash comes in. Job one has to be back to the basics. Focus on tackling. All right. That will be hard. Again, weird offseason, no spring. I get it. They led the nation in missed tackles a year ago. If they want to get better, that's where they got to start. Tackle guys. That is the point of defense. The other thing that Chris Ash needs to do, like Todd Orlando was so aggressive last year, kind of like the guy in video games who just blitzes the house every play in Madden. And yeah, that's great. But didn't have anything. Didn't have anything behind it. Yeah. It's great when it works and it's fun to do, but it just didn't work last year. Ninety fourth yeah. in the country in yards allowed per attempt. Ninetieth in quarterback rating allowed. One hundredth in completion percentage allowed. Chris Ash needs to just like pull back on that throttle a little bit. Pull it back. I think that's an instant improvement. Otherwise, what he switched into a. A four, it's hard a four, to keep three, track yeah. of all these guys switching. It, he does like a sort of 4-3, four, 4-2-5 four, quarters look, yeah. It's a 4-3, four, 4-2-5 four, quarters look. Joseph Osai could have gone pro. He's going to play the jack position this year, which is kind of like a stand-up defensive lineman. Hopefully, he can gel, help generate more of a pass rush. Um, otherwise, I, I you know, I, I'm in love with Caden Stearns. We've talked about that at the back end of the secondary no disrespect to B.J. Foster and Chris Brown. They're also very good, but Caden Stern's my boy. They're all hurt They're last all hurt year. That's last okay. Last year, I know. I know. Everybody's hurt. They had a, a terrible time with injuries, but um, I just think focusing on the basics, throttling back that aggressiveness is going to put Texas in a much better place defensively. I think that's what Chris Ash is going to do. Yeah, I, I think that's all reasonable. I am I am high on Texas. I don't know how high, but... They've recruited so well, and they have the experience of Sam Ellinger, and I'm worried about new coordinators on both sides in terms of just the ability to teach and learn and get reps, mental reps, physical reps, and spring camp and all those things, but I think they're going to be relatively simplified, and that works when you can out-talent just about everybody you play. That's so right. That's right. If Texas can get out of their own way, uh, they'll be fine. Why is Oklahoma State's offense suddenly... A question is that is it fair to say that the offense is a question because for like the last decade it has been a powerhouse offense mike gundy has continually done more with less in the talent space um it has really been his calling card for so long and i look at this team and i actually have more questions about the offense than i do i think the defense yeah, it's weird. I mean, they're returning a lot on defense, which is why I think the questions are on offense. And they lost Tylen Wallace last year to the season-ending in injury, I think, in late October. He's back and practicing, which is great news. And so it is good news. I mean, obviously, Chuba Hubbard is fantastic news for any team that has him in their backfield, which Oklahoma State does. I think the problem is, and it has been the, the majority of the decade because of how long Mason Rudolph and you had the year of your guy, the corn dog, Taylor Cornelius. Sure. Uh, call it, or just running the offense for Oklahoma State. The problem now is Spencer Sanders had a redshirt year. He had time to pick up some sort of offense because this will now be his third coordinator in three years. So going from Yersik to uh, 
Sean Gleason, who moved on to Rutgers, came in from Princeton, and now uh, to Casey Dunn, who, and I mentioned this at the top, I'm never crazy, and it's because I've been hurt before, Ty. Yeah. <laughs> I'm never crazy about the 10-year position coach finally getting uh, a call-up to coordinator, yep. where usually it, if you're somewhere for a long time, and maybe he loves Stillwater, maybe he's got tremendous roots there, he loves you know coaching at Oklahoma State, and obviously he has developed great receiver after great receiver in Stillwater. But the Don Pelham thing really <laughs> warped my, first cut my brain is the wiring. Deepest, is it not? It is. It very much is. So that's a little bit troubling to me because obviously I think he's had overtures to be hired as a receivers coach everywhere because he's done such a good job there. Um, so that's a little bit worrisome just for Spencer Sanders because he he does miss the last two or three games of the year, I think, with a thumb injury. But he had the highest interception rate of any quarterback in the yeah. country as a redshirt freshman. And... I understand you can say, okay, it was his first year starting. He was just a redshirt freshman. But usually, for the sake of optimism, in a conference without a ton of lockdown defenses everywhere, you want to see something. And especially with the threat of Chuba Hubbard running wild on every single snap and receivers that are very good, I think I expected more from a quarterback at Oklahoma State. And that I didn't see it. I think tells me right now that Spencer Sanders' ceiling is modest. Interesting. I think that's the nicest thing I can say. That I think quarterback recruitment, development, offensive coordinator hiring and continuity, I think has really pumped some brakes at Oklahoma State. So that that has me worried. I like the receivers. I like the skill talent around Spencer Sanders. I like the recruiting of the skill talent around Spencer Sanders. The line should be fine. I, I am I'm just I'm just worried that th- there's no traditional bomber to him in the way that we had with Mason Rudolph going to junkyard Jim Washington downfield. Interesting. And that hmm. that reduces them to maybe an eight and four type ceiling to me. When if they had Brock Purdy, then they're a nine and three, ten and two type team to me. I mean, if they go eight and four this year, Bob Bowlesby's He's working miracles to get 12 games in, but I hear, <laughs> Sorry, I take your me. point. You know what I'm saying? Give me the, the winning percentage of eight and four or nine, whatever. Um, I take yes, your point that, though. It, it's, yeah, it's, but the defense does return a ton and they return their coordinator, Jim Knowles, who had them, I think, moving in the right direction. They, yeah. and whatever their schedule looks like, they're at Oklahoma for Bedlam. They're at Baylor and this is new look Baylor for sure. And they host Texas. So it's, it's okay. This is a really big year for Oklahoma State because they got 19 guys back, including Chuba Hubbard, who led the nation with almost, what, 2,100 rushing yards, something like that. Tylen Wallace coming back from that ACL. Both of those guys, by the way, could have declared for the draft, but they didn't. And it's like it's sort of an unsung fact about the Gundy era, but he's really good at keeping guys from leaving early. And he's done it again here. He's retained that three-headed, whatever you want to call it, in Spencer Sanders, Chuba Hubbard, and Tylen Wallace. There is some depth this year behind Chuba. Likewise, there is some depth out wide with the likes of Dylan Stoner and Braden Johnson, both of whom had you know, good years last year in Wallace's absence. I share your skepticism, though, about Spencer Sanders. He was Big 12 Freshman of the Year, so clearly he did something right. Yeah. And can run. Sure. He can run. He showed improvement before missing the final two games with that thumb injury. 
I'm always a little hesitant, though, when it does feel like so much comes down to one guy. And that that is partially inherent to the quarterback position. I get it. But the interception rate was high a year ago. And there was plenty of reason to, I think, be skeptical um, of what he might be just from a ceiling standpoint. So um, I'm very mixed here. I think I share your kind of just uneasiness around the offense and what it can be. Weirdly, the, the defense is in such a good spot. You know, like it's loaded. There's a good line. It's good secondary. They're going to be fine. You have it's a fine. good defense in the Big 12. That's that's a competitive advantage, no doubt. But um, just a little, a little, a little uneasy about so much being on the arm of uh, a young guy like Spencer Sanders. Yeah, the way I see it in, I mean, this is really any conference, but if we're talking about the Big 12 today, you either have to do something really great. You have to be 2019 Baylor, where the offense is inconsistent and pretty sluggish, but the defense, you got you got a bunch of killers, and they're so well coached. You know how I feel about Phil Snow. Yeah. Uh, you, you run an air raid. That's just, you, you can't guard receivers. You you run the hell out of the ball. Even Texas, Texas, with all of their struggles, they've lined up some killers at receiver these past few years. Sure. They've absolutely, you know, they're, 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 their killer ability was getting the ball to some speed and space and really making teams pay. That was the best of Texas. And there, what does Iowa State do great? Well, they really improved their defense and they had a wild card quarterback in Brock Purdy. That really excited you. And West Virginia had Will Greer and a ton of speed and a really creative offense under Holgo. Right now at Oklahoma State, you either have to do everything competently or you have to do something great. And I don't see the Pokes doing either one of those things to be that weekly threat to anybody in the conference. Okay. Open to being wrong, for sure. The one thing that they do great is run the ball. And it didn't make a huge, huge difference last year. And so that's what concerns me that Chuba Hubbard for his runaway ability, unlike any other probably, maybe other than Travis Etienne running back in the country, isn't quite enough given where football is in 2020 with how wide open and how important passing is. That that That's what concerns me. I think we are like-minded on Oklahoma okay. State. Um, let me stick with the top tier or upper crust, we'll call it, of the Big 12 and Ask about Iowa State, because they really are that, I think, Oh, man, team. just skipping over Dave Aranda's Baylor Bears in the I Big am. 12 championship game last year? We'll come back to Baylor in a second, yeah. Whoa, okay. Is 2020 the year that Iowa State finally goes from, like, being this scrappy team that scares the crap out of you to a true substantial competitor Given Brock Purdy, given all the close losses they had last season, oh, is is this the year for Matt Campbell where that transition occurs? When the when the tough got going late in 2019, Iowa State lost close. That's <laughs> sort of what happened with the close. They were seven points away from ten and two, and fourteen points away from an eleven one record and making it into that Big Twelve title game. Man. Yeah, I mean, the Baylor game, the Oklahoma comeback that almost was uh, Oklahoma State, Iowa, they lose by a point. Yeah, You're not wrong. So Iowa State, they're dealing with injuries in 2019. Most notably, I think it was a shoulder injury to Greg Eisworth, one of the absolute best safeties in the country. 
and Brock Purdy, the the end of, and we've talked about this already, but the end of that Oklahoma State game last year, we just kept throwing interceptions. Mm, felt like yeah. his Not tin great. cup moment. Not where great. You, you just he's refusing to lay up, and it's it was it was a rough watch. And that's all correctable. That's the good news. That's all correctable. They have a promising young running back in Brees Hall. They don't have the same. I guess, level weapons on the outside, but they're really strong at tight end. They're strong on the line. So in terms of the big humans on offense, I feel good about the clones. They lose a good amount, especially up front on defense, but even still, they're in good shape. They've recruited well. There's a lot more depth than there was ever before. It's just like you mentioned, it's playing four full quarters. It's not disappearing for a quarter and a half early and then having to furiously come back. It's not coming back and then blowing it repeatedly. It's, Okay, you're you're now at the stage where you're now on the stage essentially, and now it's time to perform. No, and I actually feel really good about it. And it's more about the context of what I talked about with the conference as a whole, where there's not a lot of obvious killing units, whatever. That that Iowa State has the the benefit of experience, of coaching, of continuity. I mean, it's their coordinators are both there. I really like. What is it, John Haycock, who's been there, yeah, yeah. you know, for a couple of years now and, and had that sort of defense that a lot of people have been copying that, you know, jamming the middle in the three, two, six and, you know, having speed all over the field. So it's he has been copied because of how uh, effective that defense has been in that conference against the air raid. So there's a lot to like about Iowa State. And I'm just going to be one of those people liking it, especially since I think they get both Oklahoma and Baylor at home. They're in Austin and we're just we're working under this assumption once again that the home road splits are going to remain for the the Big 12's nine conference games for each team. But just we don't know the order. Uh, So I I think the the continuity thing, the experience thing, the walk before you run, maybe they, they were walking, power walking and jogging. I think finally in Brock Purdy's third year as a starter, I think they're ready to run if they can find a problem on the outside on offense in a good way. Yeah. Well, and they've figured out ways to create that problem on the outside. Yeah, they've had them. Each of the years that Matt Campbell's been there, they've had to replace, you know, a Alan Lazard or a sure. Hakeem Butler. Like they've had to do this and they've continuously found ways to get production out wide. I'm just going to come back to a point that you mentioned. I think we're really going to see it pay dividends this year. Recruiting has been better, a lot better. Depth is one of those topics. It never gets mentioned. It's one of the biggest differences between the top-rung teams and everybody else. Iowa State was not there at all when Matt Campbell took over. They are not there yet, but they are going in the right direction. Dude, I love their tight end. Charlie Kohler. He's Charlie nice. Kohler and Chase Allen, who's also very good at yeah. the tight end position. So he's he's really bolstered that position group. Kohler led the team in receptions last year. Mm-hmm. So I think this is going to be a good team on offense. I have questions about the line. Defensively, they've got a lot coming back. One of the better defenses in the conference. Um, If we had a rank two through four in the Big 12, where do you come down on that? I think I would go Texas two, Iowa State three, Baylor four. Baylor loses so much on defense, though. There's so much new about Baylor. I, I just, I have... Uh, I'm not in on Baylor at all this year. I was in last year. I'm not this year. I know. Um, I just, I saw bad Max Duggan <laughs> a little too often. <laughs> I, go, I go Texas, Oklahoma State, and Iowa State in that order. You like the pokes over the clones? I think so. Okay. I think so. All right. Yeah, just because of that, okay. 
because of that Chuba Hubbard Tylen Wallace combo. Okay. I think it's that's pretty how close I rank to them. me. Yeah. What a brutal history between those two <laughs> to compare them. I love it. Okay. What do you want to talk about? You tell me. What what questions do you have about Baylor? What am I not answering for you that I need to answer to prove my case here that they should not be in that top tier? Okay. So they obviously, they're the example. We talked at the top about how do you take that next step? Baylor was Mr. Next Step these right. past couple years under Matt Rule, who, damn, he did a great job mm. uh, in Waco. So... Dave Aranda gets his first big head coaching job. Everybody sort of thought he was waiting for an NFL job, you know, an NFL coordinator job, whatever. And he ends up going to Baylor. I think his daughter ended up attending Baylor. So he, in a way, followed her. I saw that story. Um, what, given Baylor and what they return, because I know they lose a ton on defense, which is really what led that that team to the Big 12 championship game and a New Year's Six game. What is realistic to say, Okay, this is how Dave Aranda has built on the success of Matt Rule's Bear Squad. Right. Yeah. Um, okay. Biggest issue for Baylor, and another recurring theme is I bring this up every year. I have a hard time when teams are in this situation where they reboot their coaching staff. Whole yeah, thing. no snow advisory, Ty. No snow advisory. Coaching staff rebooted. They're off an 11 win season. A little bit of pixie dust on that 11 wins. A few close wins in there. They got the job done. That's okay. Don't pay no attention to the West Virginia game. Pay no attention. attention. It was a plucky team. They hung in there (laughs) twice with Oklahoma. It was a good football team. Matt Rule really instilled that culture that uh, I think we've come to know and love about him. But um, the installation process for Dave Aranda is just going to be harder because of the pandemic. Yeah. Because they lose Denzel Mims out wide. He was a huge oh, bright spot for them last season. So he made Charlie Brewer better. Mm-hmm. Then they lose nine guys on defense. So he's he's dealing with a lot here. I think it is a step back year for Baylor. Even though Aranda's a great hire. One day at a time. <laughs> you need to prepare me for that. <laughs> Daily progress. <laughs> he's a great hire. Yeah. He's going to get things working, especially on defense, but um, it's it's too soon to expect too much here in year one. What does that mean, though? I mean, you're returning a quarterback. This is a team that even you, they lose starters, but rotation guys played. They they won some games comfortably. This there is Matt Rule DNA to this team where before you can win close, you got to lose close, and then they you know win close, win big in some instances. So this is this is a program that has winning infrastructure. They have winning infrastructure. I okay. Let's start at the top here. We'll go offense, defense. Chuck Brewer, Chuck Brewer, Chuck Brewer. Yeah. Before we get to Charlie Brewer, let's talk about the line. Okay. Their line stank last year. <laughs> it did. It did. They allowed thirty-eight sacks. That was the worst in the Big Twelve. They've got a lot of turnover up front this year. You had guys last year bouncing around, playing different positions, game in and game out. The results were not great. The good news is that they get seven guys back along the line. I hope it helps. It needs to help because Charlie Brewer really felt the brunt of things. He was the engine for this offense. There's there's no way around it. He led the team in rushing attempts and in touchdowns in 2019. Now he's got Larry Fedora taking over the offense. And the track record is he's going to get more carries this year. Larry Fedora does that to his quarterbacks. So... I don't know what uh, 
He can't take that many more hits, Ty. The line needs to protect Chuck Brewer. Chaz Brewer. Yeah. Yeah. It needs to. Um, I am concerned about the receiver situation. I said Denzel Mims made Charlie Brewer better. He really did. Did you mention Tyquan Thornton? Am I going out of my mind? No, go ahead. He's really good. He's very good. Okay. I'm just making sure you mention his name because he's, I think, the number one receiver for Baylor. Um, yeah, I, I, I think I'm on board with you, but Charlie Brewer is, man, some of those hits he was taking last year. And I, I know there's some depth and interesting depth behind him, but it it felt like is should this dude still be playing football? You know the, the concussions. It I don't know that 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 is just troubling from a human level to me. But I think yes the the Baylor offense should be interesting. The Baylor Baylor defense should be good to very good, even with a lot of new dudes in there, because I, I imagine Matt Rule was really good at identifying talent and developing talent, and Dave Aranda has done nothing to to make me think he can't continue that. So, I, I mean, I think Baylor is going to win more often than they lose, and they're going to take a step back, but they are one of the probably two or three more intriguing teams in this conference to me. Defensively, nine starters gone from a year ago. Ron Roberts comes over from Louisiana Lafayette. They don't like you saying Lafayette. They just like Louisiana. Oh, I'm sorry. Louisiana. They'll let you know. (laughs) Louisiana. Excuse me. Yeah. No, it's okay. But Roberts got a little bit of Dave Aranda in him because he's sort of Dave Aranda's mentor. Yeah, he is. uh, He has a really good reputation defensively. Yeah. Yeah. Defense is going to look very similar to Dave Aranda's. And if you're a Baylor fan, you should be excited about that. These are... Awesome defenses to watch. They use a lot of versatility. You're going to see like three down linemen and eight guys who might blitz or might drop back or play a different spot on each play. And if you're a Baylor fan, if you're coming off a year with the Phil Snow defense, which really started to click last season, um, you know, turnover limits how good it can be. But I I do think it's going to be a fun watch and probably a lot better next season. Wait, you think the defense is going to be a lot better? I'm saying I think it's a step back this year. Oh, okay. And next year. Okay. Step back this year. Still fun to watch. Next year is where you see the real gains on defense. Interesting. Okay. I'm I'm good with that. So I'm not high on Baylor. Do they win more often? Do they win six games? I think they're like a six and four team. Yeah, I okay. think you got it. Six and four, five and five. I think it's that that kind of season for Baylor. Let's let's go to a team that we're used to discussing. Although I guess there's two of them left on your side. Let's that we're used to discussing earlier on. And that's West Virginia. Oh, no. We've been used to discussing West Virginia as not necessarily a perennial winning contender, but a threat that any oh, given no. week they could hang 50. Mm. And I know last year, and they were, I think, a good example last year of first eight, nine weeks. Like, ooh, there are some, there are some low moments. The, the stinker <laughs> potential was a high stinker ceiling. Type. High, very high stinker ceiling. Yeah. But... I, I thought Neil Brown did a good enough job keeping players focused that they were fighting late in the season. They they did see some results from that fight. And even though it's been a pretty turbulent offseason for West Virginia, there have to be pieces there. There have to be pieces in Morgantown that after 2019, which was a bit of a mess after, after Holgo left, that the fact is year two is is going to be more promising. There's more to be optimistic about in year two. What is that first thing to 
increase the number of optimistic items? Where, where do they say, okay, this is where we need to go yeah. to really get things humming? It's a good question. It's a good question. And it was a tough spot for Neil Brown in year one. Um, that offense was a rough watch at times. It was. They scored 40 points per game in 2018 and something like 20.6 in uh, 2019 in year one under Neil Brown. And look, that's what happens when you tweak the scheme, when you stink at quarterback, when you have receivers dropping balls, a line that can't yeah. block. I think I saw, what, 100th? Something like 100th in the SP+. Um, the offense was not good. And it's that's not a formula for success in the Big 12. And that, that's an improvement from where it was two-thirds of the you know, late October, whatever. Exactly. Exactly. So I almost view year two as year one and a half. I think job one is building on the experience that you built up in year one. Find a way to get more fundamentally sound because it's still a young team, Dan. They're still learning a new system. Sure. I think it helps that Jared Deggy built some momentum at the end of the season last year. Um, this was a young wide receiver core. A lot of those guys are back, including Sam James, who had a crazy 111 targets as a freshman, which is saying something. Wow. Yeah. He's back. That'll help. Job two is figuring out how to get more out of the running game because on a per play basis, this was like the worst ground game in America. It wasn't the it was worst, at least not in every metric, but they were really bad on a per play basis from an efficiency standpoint. They stunk as a rushing unit. Um, they got to get more there because this is not a situation where your quarterback is going to be good enough to power the whole offense. He's going to need some help in the in the in the ground game. Right. So Jarrett Dagey had moments. He had moments. moments. I like Jarrett Dagey, mm-hmm. but he, he just, he needs more help. Needs more help. Glad they found him. Austin Kendall's still there, by the way. He could still reclaim the job, but I, Dagey's got to be the guy. I think that helps. Okay. Defensively, um, we talked about the Vic Koenig thing. No longer yeah. defensive coordinator, dismissed after some insensitive actions, particularly around racial injustice. Um, how that affects the defense remains to be seen. I, I think this is, again, going to be the better side of the football for the Mountaineers. I like Darius and Dante Stills, the brothers Stills in the middle. Yeah. It's still the strength of this defense. Linebacking core looks okay to me. Josh Chandler had a really good year as a sophomore, second in the team in tackles. Secondary kind of a mess. Um, I don't know if we see a ton of improvement from West Virginia. I think they build on their experience from a year ago. I think another year under Neil Brown is going to help. I'm looking for gains next year. I think next year is a year where we start to see a little bit more movement forward. But um, you're saying 2021, 2021. Yeah, just okay. not 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 enough here for me. Not enough meat on this bone yet to get too excited about seeing a big jump in in year two. Home road splits look pretty good, though, right? They get Oklahoma and Baylor. In yeah, Morgantown. it's not bad. It's not bad. Okay. Well, that's that's something. I mean, promise at quarterback. Uh, defense being ahead of the offense, I generally like because that shows effort. It's hard. You know, if your defense is a nightmare, it generally means there's almost no buy-in, no effort. So I, I like that element of things for West Virginia. And, you know, it's going to be a strange year, whatever it looks like. And perhaps, because this is what, it was Kansas State beats Oklahoma then immediately goes and loses to West Virginia. So maybe it's an op- opportunistic fall for the ears. They seem to be at the center of weirdness a lot. That's that's my hope. And look, there were some games here 
for West Virginia. You want to talk about buy-in and effort? It was it was there for this team last year. It really was. Baylor, a very close loss. We alluded to it in the beginning. Baylor was an yeah. 11-win team. Uh, beat K-State. K-State was a bowl team. Yes, they were. Within one score of Oklahoma State, they beat TCU to close out the year. So it was it was yeah, not close well. It was not for lack of trying. It's just he's trying to build something new. I think yeah. we both have a lot of faith in Neil Brown. Did great things so. at Troy. I think he's going to do good things at West Virginia, but it's going to take some time to get there. And I, I hope they give him a long enough leash. I think they will. Yeah, I, they have a. It's a a dude drought right now a in dude West drought. Virginia. It's speaking, a dude drought. Speaking of dude droughts. I'm ready. I don't I, I don't know where you're going with this segue, but I hope it's some very uncomfortable sponsorship or just you're changing the subject away from college football entirely. All right. Hit me. Kansas. <laughs> oh, we can't even talk Kansas State before Kansas. Kansas. Because Kansas State also kind of has a dewdrop, but OK, we can talk Kansas. Where is where is the opportunity for realistic growth? From a Kansas standpoint, uh, they're, they've got to win shootouts. If they're able to win shootouts, which is something we say about a lot of teams when we preview them come July, August, and it's not a really it's a it's a backhanded compliment because it says, well, I don't know if things get really weird and it's 58 to 54, maybe you're the 58. (laughs) It's not a great thing. But the fact is, I like their offensive coordinator. They made the switch to Brent Deerman early on, or I guess midway through the season. Midway through, yeah. And it worked. It, It worked until it didn't at times but yeah they i mean now they're replacing carter stanley uh and it's i think it's miles kendrick and thomas McVitty battling it out for the starting job um the skill talent's good the skill talent is good i really like andrew parchment the receiver i think behind tylen wallace he's the leading receiver so he's the second receiving second leading returning receiver my english is all askew there um so there is on offense, there's some prominent you know, off, offensive lines not gonna be great. Um, but if they're able to with Brent Deerman's RPO, like they were able to do, uh, especially against Texas, and that was that was eye opening. <laughs> I think it was fifty <laughs> to forty eight um, in, in a loss in a losing effort. But all the same, if Kansas can channel that, they it's a real coaching staff. They are you know Les Miles is is trying. He's trying there. It's going to take a while still just because things are so backward in Lawrence. Um, I don't know. If one of these quarterbacks works out, it's something. Can they win? Can they go three and seven? I don't know. (laughs) I just, I don't know. They're going to have to win those shootouts. They're going to have to hope for an injured quarterback or two, making the schedule more interesting than it looks right now. But I think that's what it is. I think if... It's going to be an interesting RPO-based offense for Kansas, and that's at least something. That is at least something that we can say, okay, Kansas has gone from embarrassing to more often than not entertaining. That's the step forward I can see happening. One one interesting name that you did not mention is Jalen Daniels. Okay. Jalen Daniels is their freshman quarterback recruit. Okay. As of a couple weeks ago, he was still kind of quasi a contender for that starting quarterback position this fall. And Brent Dearman, who has a bit of a history with Gus Malzahn, compared him to Nick Marshall. Um, I saw Athlon compared. He said he's the handpicked quarterback of the future. I don't know what that means for Kansas, but um, I am interested to see if they decide to play the true freshman at any point in time, take their lumps now 
to build for more of a promising future. That that that's kind of the question here. It appears like Les Miles is playing the long con. Ty, I have I have breaking news for you. They're going to take their lumps either way. <laughs> well, they're going to take their lumps either way, <laughs> yeah. but but you know, it, it Les Miles is open to giving the younger guys time. You got Puka Williams, which is a bright spot, but I'm I'm sure. most interested in seeing are they going to play a true freshman at quarterback? He may be the best fit for that scheme than anyone else on the roster. Just entertain me. That's all I want. All right. I'll let you fill in your your love, Ty. Sell me on TCU. No. Tell me on. Okay. Let, but let's don't let's let's not bring emotion into it, Ty. Let's so be rational, hard, though. Let's be pragmatic. I don't know why you're so in love with TCU. Every I honestly don't get it. I don't know why you keep falling for the frogs. I mean, Fort Worth is great. I, I like for Fort the Worth. Frogs. I like the color purple is fine. Um. I like that there's the murder frog and you have like they the frog had the rose in the mouth for the rose bowl. That's all good. Um, what what has gone wrong? Mm. It, it just seemed like they were they were there and now they're not. Yeah. What is what has gone wrong? They, I don't think they hit 500 last year. They're not a bowl team. Um, I feel like Gary Patterson has recruited pretty well to Fort Worth. He's developed guys. We see them drafted first, second, third round from that team, especially that defense every year, but sometimes offense. What is, what happened? It's it's such a good question. Um, I'm never inclined to say it's a talent thing with Gary Patterson because- but Why doesn't anybody in the Big 12 have a friggin' quarterback other than Oklahoma? <laughs> I don't know. What happened? I don't know. Um, But, you know, like, the talent thing with Gary Patterson, I, his calling card has always been developing talent. He turns three yeah. stars into five stars. That's his that's his thing. So I I think the talent is there. Um, I think I think it's it was a combination of scheme and experience last year. Um, yeah, TCU was sort of the anti Baylor in a sense because Baylor won a bunch of one score games. TCU lost six of them, including one against Baylor. They were good enough to be in the close games against better teams. They just couldn't close. And you could point to a bunch of reasons for that. For one, it took them about a month to figure out that Max Duggan should be their quarterback. And he played the back half of the season as the primary quarterback against the better teams in the Big 12. And it was rocky, right? Because he was was a freshman, but he, he just gave them more. And that was good. That's a building block. The combination, though, of the musical quarterbacks and whatever scheme they tried, that affected Jalen Rager. He was their best offensive weapon. They couldn't get him the ball. 88 targets, a catch rate under 50%. Some of that's on him, mind you. But you just you wanted to see more out of Jalen Rager. So sure. while the offense was inconsistent and the defense was pretty good, again, they just gave up a ton of big plays. Um That's like some combination of all those things really did him in. And especially in a conference like the Big 12, where you got big plays, like you just if if they were going to rely mostly on their defense, they couldn't give up those big plays. They couldn't be felled by the big play. And all too often they were. So now moving forward, Patterson's philosophy is to go back to the well. I'm always mixed on this. I don't know how I feel. They're bringing Doug Meacham back. They're pairing him back up with Sonny Cumbie. They're mm-hmm. also adding Jerry Kill to the mix as like this awkward third wheel. Okay. I, I don't mind it. 
good coach. The the 1.0 version of the Meacham Cumby combo had really good results. We'll see how it yeah. goes this time around. It hurts to lose your top two running backs from a year ago, but I I feel like they had enough. a really good quarterback back then. By the way, Ty. they had a really good quarterback. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah. I'm not. That's what I'm saying. I'm just. I'm. I'm a little leery on this. Yeah, it hurts when you lose your top two running backs from a year ago. There's probably enough talent to make it work. The running back room is crowded with Darwin Barlow and uh, Foster and De Mercado and Richardson and Miller. Like they got guys, and it's the same deal out wide. They got a bunch of rising juniors with speed. Tay Barber is a guy to watch. They're going to stretch the field more. Like they just weren't explosive last year. The caveat is that the line has to hold for Max Duggan. They lose four guys up front. That's the biggest question on this offense. You can ask whatever you want about the scheme and how the three ring circus is going to work with offensive coaches. But the biggest question for me is, what are they going to do about that line? It all starts up front for TCU this year. Are you worried that they're becoming sort of Lone Star Who's? That they're becoming like the the Virginia era of, you know, they win six or seven games. And now this is a 10 game season. They win five, six, seven games and they have three you know, top two round picks like they had it was what Jalen Rager and Jeff Gladney last year. They have yeah. two first round picks last year yeah. where Virginia randomly it's to Brickishaw Ferguson or Chris Long or whatever. They don't translate having, you know, developing individual pockets of their team into really top level players into wins. Is that know. a concern? Like it, it feels like year it, over year they're just keep first round pick TCU, second round pick TCU. And they're not turning those pockets of talent into anything. I don't know if you ever watch Top Chef, but all the time they're like, yeah, the steak was okay. Like these grilled peaches are transcendent. We're just like, why couldn't you turn the whole plate into this magic? Um, so that that to me feel like year over year. It just doesn't GCU feel like is that had, team in the Big 12. Doesn't feel like they've had that quarterback. And, um, you know, when they had the quarterback, they were really good. Oh, Kenny Trill was only okay. But yeah. He's okay. But when they've had the quarterback, they've been fine. It's just, Getting that quarterback has been an issue. You can say that about everybody, but you can say it about everybody. Yeah, no, I, that's fair. Yeah. But in TCU's case, I just feel like we've constantly been waiting for that quarterback, and the defense has been continually pretty good. Um, four two five defense, a lot of defensive backs out there flying around. He's got two good ones in Trevin Morig, our Darius Washington, Garrett Wallow, one of the better linebackers. In college football, just a lot of ammo, a lot of versatility in that back seven. It's going to make them really good again. They lose Ross Blacklock to the NFL. They're going to need more pass rush this year out of guys like O'Shawn Mathis. And they're not the deepest along the line, but they should be They should be fine. You mentioned you know, some other losses in the defensive backfield, but I, I think they'll be fine across the board. I just, you know, it's a mental exercise to not get too excited about TCU this year <laughs> and every year. I love the defense. I like Max Duggan. I have questions about pretty much everything else. The only thing that I am certain of with this team okay, is that they're going to be better than last year. They're going to be better than last year. They have to be. I don't know what it is. I, Man, they're just such a sometimes team. They're just like, how, how's TCU? Sometimes their defense is good. I know. How's TCU? Sometimes Darius Anderson goes off and has an amazing game and they're pretty good. They're just a sometimes team. Like they all start and end dating somebody on Friday nights and it totally affects them week to week. They're like seven and three this year. They're seven really? and three team. Ah, seven and three, man. six and four. What What is so appreciably different from a team that didn't make a bowl last year? A lot of close losses a year ago. I think that has okay. to turn around. Okay. The defense is still going to be very good, and it's another year under Max Duggan. 
Okay. Did Max Duggan really get you going? There were flashes with Max Duggan. <laughs> okay. There were flashes. I just, when, when players are described as gutty or gamers without actually taking it to somebody for four quarters, I, the, the sort of positioning of how we describe players is worrisome when it's not, oh yeah, that dude went off. That dude just absolutely obliterated that team. If they don't have a game like that, and it's just Max Duggan just seems like a guy. I hope he's more than that this season, but that's what he appeared to be. As you know, if, if as a freshman, you're not, you're generally by the end of your freshman year, when there's some talent around you, which TCU had talent around him, if if the if it's just flash here, flash there, I just I want I want a flashlight, Ty. Flashlight. Show me the way. Yeah. All right. Um let's talk about K-State. Okay. I would love to. I have K-State thoughts. K-State beat Oklahoma, and then they scored more than 30 points only against Kansas. Yes. Um, including 20 in a losing effort to West Virginia at home. What are the tea leaves for this 2020 offense? A um, lot of new faces. Will they have more pop? How do you feel about year two under Chris Kleiman? A little worried. A little worried. I'm not worried about the defense, even though they replaced Scotty Hazleton, the coordinator who left to follow Mel Tucker to Michigan State. They promoted from within. There's a lot of continuity at Kansas State, and I was I was really encouraged by year one. The results that they were able to... It was like they were hitting corners, Ty. Baseball yeah. analogy. They weren't throwing 99. They didn't have a crazy hooking curve or a, a diving slider. A lot of Greg like Maddox that. out there. Yeah. A lot of Greg Maddox. Um... The Oklahoma game was obviously terrific. They took advantage of Oklahoma mistakes like good teams do. They were able to make plays in big moments. Skylar Thompson, you know, picking up, you know, first downs with his legs, whatever. It was encouraging. They lose a lot on offense everywhere. And in the specific context of 2020 and not having that much time to get in reps with new receivers, you know, you know, Josh Youngblood had the kick return against Texas. He is he is a top end speed dude. He is he is encouraging. I did see a story that he actually lived with Chris Kleiman during the spring after surgery and had a fantastic time. <laughs> um, I I'm really hopeful that dudes emerge, but I used that phrase problem problem a few weeks ago on a show, and to be clear, that is a team that has a problem because they don't have enough problems on their roster for other yeah, teams. I screwed that up, didn't I? It's okay. It's okay. We're past it. We're past it. Josh Youngblood could be a smaller dude, but that's okay. He has that high-end speed. He could be a problem. I just don't see guys on this offense where a defensive coordinator, you know, Jim Knowles at Oklahoma State or uh, John Haycock at, at Iowa State are like, oh man, what do we do with this guy? What do we do with this guy? And Skylar Thompson's fine. But dangerous is not necessarily an adjective I would associate with him. So it's a new line. It's it's a, just a new offense in general, and no. I'm worried. Now, defensively, the back end of their defense is largely intact. Uh, they've got a, a really good rush end in Wyatt Hubert, one of the best in the country. They the, uh, Defensively, uh, up front, though, they do make some changes on the line just in terms of new starters. They were a little loosey-goosey against the run. That concerns me somewhat about Kansas State, but... In terms of continuity in a weird year, there is a lot to like about Kansas State still, that they were so good on defense on third down that they were just able to get off the field. They won a lot of interesting moments, as we saw, especially in that Oklahoma game. But if they had that problem 
putting points on the board, keeping drives going, finding mismatches on offense those last four, five, six games. I don't know if I necessarily see that improving in an obvious way in 2020. So I think it's probably more of the same or a step back, but still in every game because they're so well coached and so disciplined. So yeah, six and four season feels about right. And they're not going to get blown out of the water by anybody. It almost feels like year two could be the transition year. You know, you expect it in year one. Year two could be that year for Chris Kleiman. Um, Really inexperienced on offense. This is a team that definitely would have benefited from a spring, from a more traditional preseason where you weren't afraid to go near people. Yeah. They they really would have gotten some benefit from that. Uh, the, The line has to replace almost everybody. Interestingly enough, one factoid that may only interest tom hammond <laughs> i'm ready even even more interesting than my josh youngblood lived with the Kleiman family this spring we'll stick with josh revis he was okay. an all big 12er along the line despite not starting a single game they moved mm, him around i do a bunch. enjoy that and uh he's gonna be obviously starting this year but they gotta find the other four guys around him up front just a lot of turnover here i see the step back year as well i think chris climb a really good coach Really they good are coach. at Iowa State, at Oklahoma, and at Baylor, just in terms of how the, the road home splits work out. Yeah, and just as like an experiment goes, I think he was able to prove out that his North Dakota State system can translate to the FBS level. Oh, yeah. He, he brought, he brought coaches out. with him. Yeah. So I feel optimistic about this program longer term. I think he's a good guy for this program. But um, if, if this they is develop a, a quarterback... If they develop a quarterback, they're going to be in such, and this is again, like I said before, anybody can say this, but I think the infrastructure in Manhattan is particularly interesting. So I I think there are really intriguing things to come for the Cats. Yeah, and they're upgrading facilities. They're trying to build something around him. Yeah, I like it. I do like it. Great. Same page, Ty. Do you want to talk about Texas Tech? I would love to. Um. So uh, the Alan Bowman thing, there's no more Jet Duffy. We know this, that he just, Alan Bowman has just been just flat out unlucky injury wise. Um, Are there pieces? Are there stretches? Are there units? Are there groups? Um, Is there something about 2019 that tells you 2020? I mean, they, they have these, a ton of weird games in 2019. So is it like a bounce back thing where it's just going to the universe is going to even out for for the Red Raiders and finally Alan Bowman's going to be healthy? What is give me give me some optimism yeah. uh, for, for people in Lubbock. Four and eight a year ago. God, that Kansas loss. <laughs> I understand the pessimism. They, they bring Matt Wells over from Utah State. They did lose four games by a field goal or less, and that includes loss at Baylor and at home against K-State again, a bowl team. They were not as bad as their four and eight record, which I take as a positive. And when British comedy legend Alan Bowman is not injured, especially pairing him up with TJ Vasher out wide, I feel really optimistic about the passing game. They're full on good. They're full on. Alan Bowman is a full on good quarterback. And I like the transition to more of a balanced offense. I think it's a welcome change because tech has almost become a caricature of itself over these last, I don't know, however many years that we've seen air raid after air raid after air raid. I'm not saying this is not air raid, but it's a little bit more on the balanced side of the equation. All right. Plus, look, 
David Yost, their offensive coordinator. He Great has hair. To- he has top Great 10 hair. caliber hair. Yep. He's like a mix between Boris Johnson and Harry Dunn and maybe somebody else. But <laughs> it's hard not to be optimistic about that. So I am I am optimistic because it's year two of that system. Alan Bowman is presumably healthy. Durability has not been his thing so far, but he's got a <sighs> ton of lucky. talent. Uh, I think he can have a lot of success in this system. Definitely more balanced than the one they ran a year ago. TJ Vasher is one of those one of those dudes. He's a target. He's 6'6". He's a mountain of a man. I think he can be a walking highlight reel. So I'm optimistic about that. Okay. Defensively, I... <sighs> They led the nation in takeaways per game. They play a hyper-aggressive system under Keith Patterson. And that's Yeah, I, people that's have fun. mixed thoughts about him, but yeah. I know, but that's fun. Just that mentality is fun. That attacking aggressive mentality that we often like to make fun of. That's fun. Yeah, it for, and it worked at Utah State really, really well in that final season. Huge results. There is a lot of returning production on defense as well. Um, Eli Howard up front. He was all conference last year. Not great that they lose Jordan Brooks to the NFL. Uh, their linebacker, but the cupboard at linebacker is not bare. They're going to be okay there. So, uh, you know, combined with what is it? Three defensive backs. Yeah. Three defensive backs who are returning on defense. I, I feel optimistic that the defense can take another step forward, but, um, Reason for optimism, if only because it's year two under Matt Wells, and I think he's a good coach. Can you give me a reason for pessimism? Everything else is a reason for pessimism. (laughs) What? Everything else is a reason for pessimism. Yeah, it was rough. I mean, yeah, the inability to close out games, and it's Jet Duffy, so they didn't want to start him over Alan Bowman, obviously. So whatever Texas Tech looked like wasn't fully, and and Jet Duffy had incredible moments at the same time. So you hope with health, you hope with universe balancing out that they could go five and five, something like that, where they're just an entertaining team in games as much as they are uh, on top, as, as much as they are, I guess, just coming up short, something like that. No, I don't know. Okay, I'm, I'm, I want to. I want to be more optimistic about tech. I okay. really do. So be more optimistic. And I still think no, that okay. this is probably an above-average team. Like I think if we were in a normal year where bowl eligibility was, you know, six wins, I think they would get to bowl eligibility. So I think in that sense they take a step forward. Um, but it's it's still a long way to go here. To be honest, Look, there's their, a lot of building that needs was, to go on. Their defense was a full-on nightmare a few years ago, and now they are simply average-ish, maybe below average. And so, and they take the, they take the ball away. That's fun. They take the ball away, which is if you if you can't tackle in the open field consistently, if you can't <laughs> figure out coverages consistently, that's a good consolation tie. No argument from me. Uh, the talent level needs to be a little bit higher, and I. If they're healthy on offense, and by the way, nobody ever mentions TJ Vasher without mentioning his height. So six, you six, fall yeah. into that that group of people. Yeah, um, I've heard six seven sometimes during broadcasts. But okay. um, yeah, I, I think Texas Tech's in a in a pretty good place just because Alan Bowman, healthy and at his best, is pro- what one of the three best quarterbacks in this conference. Four. Yeah. Yeah. 
I mean, that's that's a good starting point. Uh, I like it's going to be a wide. You know, we saw the the success Jordan Love had at Utah State in this system. David Yost, you, I mean, the reason we called James Franklin casual dress James Franklin is because of that David Yost offense. So, um, or partial David Yost offense. So, I am. I'm optimistic there's going to be entertainment. I'm going to be optimistic. I and mean, turnovers are random. They're not going to lead the country in takeaways again. But, you know, I, I like that aggression. And I think they're going to be in most of their games, which will have me watching. And if Alan Bowman should get hurt again, which we're not rooting for. No. His backup is a redshirt freshman by the name of Maverick McIver. I did see that. Year over year, the Texas Tech quarterback names are just incredible. Truly incredible. Yeah. So we'll see. Yes. Give me your top five to close it out here in the Big 12. Rank your top five teams. <sighs> Oklahoma, Texas, Iowa State. I don't remember what I said before. Um, I think Baylor, Oklahoma State. Wow, you're high on Baylor. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I think there's just going to be a lot of six and four, five and five, four and six in there with a lot of tiebreaker type stuff. Um, I, could, I could also throw Kansas State in there. Um, yeah, I, I think I think we're gonna have a lot of middle class. I'm gonna go Oklahoma, Texas, Oklahoma State, Iowa State, and oh god, TCU. Wow, would it be full on strange if Oklahoma did not win the conference? No. Oh, okay. I think it will be. It would feel awkward. I still think they've got the highest level of talent of any team in the conference. But, um, you know, the, the quarterback thing is an open question. Yeah, yeah, I think it's I think I think it's possible. I think teams like uh, like Texas have enough talent that they could contend. I don't think they are nearly as reliable at this point, but uh, it helps to have the best quarterback in the conference. Sure. Wait, you think Sam Ellinger is the best quarterback in the conference? Yeah. Interesting. OK, well, I hope the Sam Stinker does not hold texas back <laughs> from your your potential hope here uh okay great cool we, can i can i finish the show with one more question please on instagram you should be following solid verbal on instagram today i posted if you are eating takeout this fall on saturdays and have to choose three apps from the following apps tie this is an encouragement for everybody to follow our instagram just because you're missing just dope content like this uh choose three of these appetizers tie now you have to consider how well they'll travel, picking up, going into the car, opening up at home, styrofoam, whatever plastic container they come in. Fried pickles, wings, guacamole, onion rings, deviled eggs, mozzarella sticks, queso, nachos, tots, quesadilla, whoa, chicken whoa. tendos. You, you expect me to remember all fries. these? Pull up our Instagram right now, Ty. Right. Instagram.com slash solid verbal. You should be following. I hope you're following, Ty. I am. I, I am. really, really do. All right. So let's see Pull what we up. got here. Pick three of them. Pick three of these. Okay. Well, I am always partial to nachos. You have many O's here in the nachos. Do they travel? Do they travel? They don't travel, but... They don't travel. No. Because I, we're not going to be watching games in bars this fall. I would say quesadillas one in that sense. Quesadillas a good pick. I go quesadillas one, probably tots two. And oh God, if you outside. order deviled eggs, that does not travel. Um, <laughs> I just love deviled eggs. That's why I, had I it do here. like deviled eggs. I but love they them. They don't travel. Yeah, they don't travel. Correct. It's like the Miami fan base. Um, 
Whoa. We'll go. Eh, I'm still going to go nachos three. Still going to go nachos okay. three. Yeah. Quesadillas, tots, nachos three. I would probably put mozzarella sticks because of structural integrity and crunch. Uh, yeah. yeah. I'm putting mozzarella sticks in there. But, you know, I'm going to go frickles, tots, and seasoned fries. No, I already have the tot for potato. I'm going to go wings, frickles, tots. Hmm. All right. Well, covered a lot of ground on this show. I'm glad we did. A longer episode than usual. We hope you all enjoyed it. We hope you all have a great weekend. Um, next week, we will be making some announcements about our Fantasy Things show, which typically we do live. Typically, you can buy a ticket. You can see it live. We're going to do our best to try and capture the flair of that. But uh, obviously, circumstances are a bit different for the moment. So we would urge everybody to stay tuned to all of our social channels, as well as our obvious podcast here at solidverbal.com. Subscribe on Apple, on Google, on Spotify, anywhere you get a podcast. You can not only subscribe, but give us a review. All that stuff helps. We look forward to still doing our fantasy things in 2020, albeit in a very, very weird and off season, Dan. Especially if you live on the island of Capri. (laughs) (laughs) For that guy over there, my good friend, Dan Rubenstein. For myself, Ty Hildebrandt. Thanks for hanging with us as we talk all things Big 12. We'll be back next week. In the meantime, enjoy your weekend. Stay safe and be solid. Peace. Peace.